You are listening to Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 80, and I'm your host, Jennifer Caloyeris. I'm recording on Friday, July 8th. I wish you could all see my setup right now. My microphone is not behaving. It's droopy and has lost the ability to stand up straight, so I'm having to hold it up with one hand and my elbow is resting on a very tall pile of books because books can come in handy for so many things. We made it to Canada and back. We went to Vancouver and Whistler. I'd never been to Whistler before, and it was just the most magical place. It's obviously a big ski destination, but the elevation really isn't that high, which was a relief because some of us tend to get really bad altitude sickness. The hockey rink where my son played was surrounded by trails and lakes and all the other beautiful green things you can think of, sort of the opposite of a California summer where everything is dry and brown. I definitely did not want to leave. I know that part of the world gets so much rain, but the weather was just perfect while we were there and I'm ready to move there for the summer. I went on a lot of hikes. There are so many beautiful lakes to visit and so many streams. And I was really excited because I saw some bear poop outside of the hockey rink. So I took a photo, which felt like a perfectly normal reaction. But I guess in hindsight, maybe not everyone takes nature poop shots. But then my dad and my husband and my youngest took a gondola ride peak to peak and they saw an actual bear. And I was very, very jealous because all I had was a photo of bear poop. I cannot believe it's July already. My parents celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary, which I find pretty remarkable. And I've been doing lots of reading and writing and arting, and I sold my very first painting. So that was exciting. I don't have my work listed anywhere, but someone reached out over Instagram, someone that I, I know, and I'm taking an online bookbinding course through Creative Bug. It's a self-paced build 30 books, and I think it's supposed to be in 30 days, but who has time for that? But I'm enjoying learning about different methods to bind books, and then I'll have all sorts of books that I can fill with my art. We just finished watching The Godfather. My son really wanted to see it. Has anyone read the Mario Puzo book? And now we're going to watch The Offer, which is a fictional series about the making of The Godfather. I think it's on Paramount. Has anyone seen that? Our puppy turned one on July 1st, and she was certainly very shy and timid when we first got her. And I'm not saying she's still not those things now, but I've been taking her to the dog park every day and she's just gotten so much better. I remember when we first got her, she wouldn't even walk around the block on a leash. She would be petrified and she'd just sit. And last but not least, I have a lot of news to catch up with today. Did you know that if you have a broody chicken, she'll adopt baby chicks? I'm going to back up here. So we have six chickens. Those of you who have been listening for a while will be sad to learn that three tennis balls are most oddly named chicken. She was a Plymouth chicken, has uh, crossed the rainbow bridge. Anyhow, sometimes chickens go broody, meaning their bodies are telling them it's time to gather eggs together and hatch some babies. We don't have a rooster. We're not allowed in Los Angeles. And so no babies over here. But Try telling that to a bunch of broody chickens. When they're broody, they don't lay any eggs, saving all their resources for their 
babies that should be coming any day now, except not in our case, because like I said, we don't have a rooster. Broodiness is a social condition in chickens that can affect the whole flock, and then no one will lay any eggs and everyone thinks they're about to have babies. So it's a good idea to break a chicken of their broodiness. And you do this by separating them from the flock for a few days. So our favorite chicken, Ob, whom we hatched uh, in an incubator about two years ago, has been broody basically all of June. We separated her three different times and she kept going back to sitting on eggs all day long. So I read online that a broody chicken may accept baby chicks if they're young enough, so we decided to give it a try. We separated Ob, let her sit on some wooden eggs, and got four or maybe five-day-old chicks. We did the old bait-and-switch, taking out a wooden egg and replacing it with a live chick, and I read online that chickens will either immediately reject or embrace their new babies, and Ob was very excited to have four chickens. Um, She was like, guys, look what I did. She was making all sorts of new noises that I had never heard. She was very proud of herself. So we've had them a little over a week now, and she is such a good mom. The other chickens are definitely curious, dare I say, some might be jealous. And I'm only letting them intermingle when I'm on duty in case one of the other chickens gets a little too angry about the new situation. But we're happy to have some new babies in our flock. And unlike last time when we hatched our own chicks and kept them in our house where they smelled something awful. I cannot tell you how nice it is that they're outside and Ob is the one doing all the caregiving. And really, that is all my news. Now on to some bookish news. According to NPR, there are multiple bills at play aimed at tightening control over libraries and the books they allow. You can guess what states are trying to control what is being read. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It is so important that all children and all readers see themselves in books, which is why representation in books matters and libraries should house a wide variety of books that represent everyone not a curated list of what lawmakers would prefer to see their children read. And please don't file criminal complaints against local librarians for selecting diverse books and their collection like some parents in Wyoming did recently. Thankfully, the local prosecutor did not press charges. In other news, Amazon is getting some heat from authors because there's a weird loophole in its system that allows Kindle book purchasers to return books. I think the limit on returns is maybe two weeks, which is definitely plenty of time to read a book. So authors are sometimes now seeing a negative balance sheet. They think they've sold a bunch of ebooks and then those ebooks all get returned. Readers have caught on to this little loophole and they're treating Amazon Kindle books like library books, purchasing, reading, and then returning the books. Rhea Fox, an avid book reader in Louisiana, has started a petition to change this policy and has gotten over 70,000 people to sign, probably a lot more by the time this podcast airs. I think that readers probably think they're sticking it to Amazon when they're doing this, but really they're punishing authors. In the meantime, the library is a fantastic place to check out an ebook. Read it on your Kindle, return it, and guess what? The author will get paid for the books that you borrow. 
MTV Books, first launched in 1995, is back, focusing on page-to-screen efforts in collaboration with Simon & Schuster. They will be working on young adult projects, the first of which is based on the book title My Life Growing Up Asian in America. 2023 will see seven titles released, including adult fiction, young adult fiction, and adult nonfiction. If I had my druthers, I'd rather see MTV return to music videos instead of books, but no one's asking me my opinion. A 71-year-old Portland author of an essay titled How to Murder Your Husband has been found guilty of, you guessed it, murdering her husband. This is like that OJ book all over again. She was found guilty of second-degree murder, has already begun serving her sentence, and she'll need to wait 25 years before the possibility of parole. Her essay was published seven years prior to killing her husband and explored various methods of committing an untraceable murder. The murder was apparently motivated by insurance money. Well, I have ended on a bit of a downer, but you know what's not a downer? New paperbacks. As I mentioned last time, this is a new segment of the show where you get more book titles focused on paperback books that have been recently released. Then we'll get to the five books I'm focusing on today. My first paperback comes out tomorrow and it's called The Stranger in the Mirror by Liv Constantine. Addison is about to get married, but is not looking forward to the big day. She doesn't know who she really is. A few years ago, a kind driver found her bleeding next to a New Jersey highway and rescued her. While her physical wounds healed, Addison's memory never returned. She doesn't know what her real name is or how she ended up injured on the side of the road or why she can't shake the notion that she may have done something very, very bad. In a posh home in Boston's suburbs, Julian tries to figure out what happened to his loving, caring wife, Cassandra, who disappeared without a trace two years ago. She never would have left him and their seven-year-old daughter, Valentina, of her own free will. Or would she? I have read this. It's definitely an unreliable narrator. I know that's not for some people, but if you like unreliable narrators, check it out. And again, that's The Stranger in the Mirror by Liv Constantine. My next paperback came out June 28th, and it's called The Last Graduate by Naomi Novik. I just bought this for a friend's daughter who loves fantasy. At the schoolmance, L, Orion, and the other students are faced with their final year and the looming specter of graduation, a deadly ritual that barely half the students survive. Elle is determined that her group will make it out alive, but their prospects are dimming by the day and the savagery of the school ramps up until Elle realizes that sometimes winning the game means throwing out all the rules. This sounds like Hunger Games mixed with sort of Harry Potter. I definitely want to read this. I purchased A Deadly Education, which I believe is the first book in this series. I know fantasy isn't always my jam. It's more like my mayonnaise. But I did purchase what I believe is the first book in the series, A Deadly Education. And hopefully after that, I will graduate to The Last Graduate. My next paperback to share is We Were Never Here, a novel written by Andrea Bartz. This was released July 5th. In this book, Emily is having the time of her life. She's in the mountains of Chile with her best friend Kristen on their annual reunion trip, and the women are feeling closer than ever. But on the last night of the trip, Emily enters their hotel suite to find blood and broken glass on the floor. Kristen says the cute backpackers she brought back to their room attacked her. 
and she had no other choice but to kill him in self-defense. Even more shocking, the scene is horrifyingly similar to last year's trip when another backpacker wound up dead. Emily can't believe it's happened again. Can lightning really strike twice? Back home in Wisconsin, Emily is struggling to bury her trauma, diving headfirst into a new relationship and throwing herself into work. But when Kristen shows up for a surprise visit, Emily is forced to confront their violent past. And again, that is We Were Never Here, a novel by Andrea Bartz. My next paperback came out July 5th, and it is Not a Happy Family, a novel. I don't know why they always say a novel. I mean, I think we assume that a book is a novel unless it says it's poetry or short stories. I don't know. Anyhow, this is by Sherry Lapina. Brecken Hill is in upstate New York, and it's an expensive place to live. You have to be rich to have a house there, and Fred and Sheila Merton certainly are rich, but even all their money can't protect them when a killer comes to call. The Mertons are brutally murdered after a fraught Easter dinner with their three adult kids, who of course are devastated. Or are they? They each stand to inherit millions. They were never a happy family thanks to their vindictive father and neglectful mother, but perhaps one of the siblings is more disturbed than anyone knew. Did someone snap after that dreadful evening, or did another person appear later that night with the worst of intentions? This sounds like it has very Menendez Brothers vibes to it. I own this book. I have not yet read it. If you've read it and want to tell me what you thought, you can email me at booksaremypeople at gmail.com. My final paperback pick for today came out July 5th, and it's called Ghosts, a novel. (laughs) I'm just going to stop saying a novel. You know I talk about novels, and if it's not a novel, I will let you know. This is by Dolly Alderton. So Nina Dean is not especially bothered that she's single. She owns her own apartment. She's about to publish her second book. She has a great relationship with her ex-boyfriend and a ton of friends. So when she downloads a dating app, she meets a great guy on her first date, which seems so um, improbable. And she's pleasantly surprised. Max is handsome. He has floppy blonde hair. He's got a good job. He's super cute. And uh, they have some real chemistry. Their conversations are witty. They both dislike sports. They are happy to be silly and dance together and etc, etc. So they just, they hit it off right away. But when Max ghosts her, Nina is forced to deal with everything she's been trying so hard to ignore. Her father's dementia is getting worse, so is her mother's denial of it, her editor hates her new book idea, and her best friend from childhood is icing her out. So the ghosting sort of acts as the impetus for her own self-exploration in this novel. I know this felt like a pretty divisive novel. The people I recommended it to either loved it or hated it. I really enjoyed it. I think it's really well written. I think fans of Sally Rooney would enjoy this one. And again, it is called Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. So there you have it. Five bonus books out now in paperback. And after a brief break, I'll be back with this week's picks. I am so excited that I get to share information about today's sponsor with you because it's a product I actually use myself and believe in, Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I'm focused on my health this year, 
running, eating right, and putting things into my body that supports these goals. I'm not a fan of vitamins. They leave me with a terrible aftertaste. You know what I'm talking about. So what is AG1? It's a scoop of deliciousness containing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. It's now part of my morning routine and allows me to start my day off right. It provides me not only with the physical energy to get through the day, but also with the mental acuity I need for all of the novel writing, book reading, and instruction I pack into my day. AG1 is lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. With Athletic Greens, you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance, and for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. My first pick this week is The Displacements by Bruce Holsinger, and this came out on July 5th. In this fast-paced atmospheric novel, Hurricane Luna, the world's first Category 6 hurricane, is about to touch down in Florida. All of Southern Florida needs to evacuate. The story focuses on the Larson Halls, a privileged family used to getting what they want when they want it. They're uprooted and moved to a mega shelter in Oklahoma. Of course, this new community becomes a microcosm of the problems affecting our nation. How can people of different backgrounds, cultural values, political allegiances get along in a confined space? Natural disasters remind us to take nothing for granted and that life can change in an instant. There is a tenuous sense of security that being a quote-unquote first world country affords its citizens. This is a novel for fans of climate fiction mixed in with a little dystopian fiction and lovers of adrenaline-fueled reads. It explores racial and socioeconomic privilege. It's a fast-paced book and I have a copy I would like to give away to one lucky winner. All you have to do is find my Instagram account at Jennifer Calogeris, or I believe you can find it by looking for Books Are My People, and follow it, locate the post about this book giveaway, and leave a comment. That's it. If you want more entries, tag friends in the comments, and you can also share on your stories. U.S. mailing addresses only, please, and this giveaway will close on Wednesday, July 27th, and I will contact the winner on the 28th. Again, that is The Displacements by Bruce Holsinger. And thank you to Riverhead for the book. Next up is The Poet's House by Jean Thompson. This comes out tomorrow. Jean Thompson is a National Book Award finalist and best-selling author of The Year We Left Home. In this novel, we meet 20-year-old Carla, who has reached a point of stagnation in her life. She's an unfulfilled landscaper, and it seems as though everyone around her feels like she should be doing something else with her life, including her mother, who wishes her daughter would work at a hospital, and her boyfriend is also nudging her in a direction that he wants. Carla gets a job working for the older Viridian, a successful and well-regarded poet who brings Jean into her inner circle of writers. Aside from being a well-known poet, Viridian's reputation also precedes her because of an affair she had with Matthias, 
also a famous poet. When a collection of poems about their affair emerges, the inner circle picks sides and the once cohesive group begins to crumble. As an outsider, we see Jean grapple with this situation. I think fans of Meg Wallitzer and Lily King will enjoy this book. It's illuminating, at times funny, and always thoughtful. This is a book about connection, longing, and friendship. And again, this is called The Poet's House by Jean Thompson. And thank you to Algonquin for the advanced review copy. Next is Night of the Living Res, Stories by Morgan Talty, out July 5th. This is a dark and explosive collection of 12 connected short stories centered around an indigenous Penobscot reservation in Maine, exploring relationships, drug use, alcoholism, and poverty. Because the stories are connected, if you're not the type of reader who typically dives into short stories, Night of the Living Res may be a perfect fit, as it stays within one family and one narrator, David, whose narrative moves back and forth in time. Heartbreaking and tender with moments of levity, this book is for lovers of connected short stories, fans of Louise Erdrich, and stories told in the first-person point of view. Masterfully written, Spending Time with David illuminates universal themes about family and the ways in which we find our place in the world. If you like literary short stories, if you like books that are probably going to win some awards, then this is the book for you. It's gritty, raw, and so well written. And again, that is Night of the Living Res, Stories by Morgan Talty. My next pick is a backlist book, and it's called A Novel Obsession, and it came out mid-March of this year. My library hold for it just came in recently. This is one of those books that sounds like it's one kind of book, but it's really another, so... Tell me what you think. 24-year-old Naomi is a bookseller and aspiring writer living in New York City. Her biggest struggle is finding a subject matter for her first novel. She meets a guy named Caleb. He's Welsh. And could it be she's falling in love for the first time and maybe now has something to write about? But Caleb comes with a past, his ex-girlfriend, Rosemary, whom he refers to here and there in conversation, as one does. But Naomi becomes hyper-focused on Rosemary. She feels like if she can learn more about her, Naomi can strengthen her relationship with her boyfriend. So here's what I mean from what I'm telling you. I thought this book would have sort of single white female vibes about a woman stalking her boyfriend's ex. And while this is certainly part of the plot, befriending Rosemary and getting her to spill the beans on Caleb, this is also a really interesting book about writing and whose stories we as authors get to tell. In fact, it begs the question, is our entire life just the story we happen to tell ourselves? This was a surprisingly philosophical read nestled in what I thought would be a quick commercial book. And sometimes it's really nice to be surprised in this way. And again, that's A Novel Obsession by Caitlin Barish. My last pick for today is Vera Kelly Lost and Found by Rosalie Necht, which came out June 21st. This is the third, and I believe they're saying it's the final, installment of the Vera Kelly series, the first one I recommended on episode 27 of my podcast, if you are interested in learning more. But in this book that I'm going to talk about today, Vera, a private detective, is living in New York with her girlfriend, Max. 
when they need to relocate to Los Angeles, Vera gets more insight into Max's childhood. Max hasn't been home since coming out to her family because it didn't go so well back then. When Max disappears overnight, Vera is thrust into her next case, but this time the stakes are at an all-time high. Can Vera find Max and what is really behind her disappearance? Yes, you can read this as a standalone, but why not dive into this trio of books? They're really fantastic. Great for fans of novels that take place in the 60s and 70s. This one takes place in 71 for fans of detective fiction and LGBTQ literature. And again, that is Vera Kelly, Lost and Found by Rosalie Necht. That's all from me. Next episode, I'm going to talk about how you can share your very own book recommendations on this show. So stay tuned for that. Don't forget about my Bruce Holsinger, The Displacements giveaway happening now. And I believe my next guest is going to be the owner of The Village Well, which is an independent bookstore here in Los Angeles. Up next for me in my reading queue is a book coming out in July called Schmutz by Felicia Meliner. It's a very funny name for a novel. I enjoy saying it. I'll be back in two weeks. And until then, I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week.